You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. During this Advent season, we are talking about what it looks like to set our hope on the living God. What is the action that we take to participate, to notice and and participate uh, in that hope? And as we explore over these uh, four Sundays and also Christmas Eve, we're talking mainly about watching for those signs of hope, coming to attention, paying attention to where God is is revealing those things and, and inviting us to take them up. And our teacher for these weeks is um, five prayers that, that occur around the birth narrative in, in Luke's gospel. Five prayers uh, prayed by the people affected by the work of God as as they pray their hope and and also teach us to do the same thing. Uh, Mary, as she uh, prays uh, twice in the in the first chapter, Zechariah, as he prays at the birth of of John the Baptist, the angels as they greet the shepherds uh, on the hillside outside of Bethlehem, and Simeon as as he greets the holy family uh, in the temple for. Uh, the, the presentation, the dedication of, of the child Jesus. Our teachers are these five prayers, and they're prayers that teach us how to watch for and make ourselves available to the work of God. Last week, George took us to Mary's first prayer, the fiat mihi in Latin, meaning uh, let it be unto me as, as you have said. Uh, this week, we look at the Magnificat, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord uh, as we look at, at Luke 1, uh, beginning in verse uh, 39 uh, through 56. Listen as we hear the word of God. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord." And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God, as 
Mary has heard your voice and has that confirmed in the presence of her relative Elizabeth. Help us to hear this day and to be available to one another to confirm that same reality that you have noticed, that you are speaking to us and inviting us to be a part of what you are about in this world. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I must confess that in 29 years of of ordained pastoral ministry, one thing that has eluded me is learning how to appreciate the gift of sitting in the pews of another church while I am on vacation. I don't relax into the privilege of not being up front. I don't relax into the reality that all I have to do is receive rather than be a part of planning and and execution of the event. I don't relax and I turn that experience more into a kind of fact-finding mission. (laughs) And the result of this is that I usually end up feeling like more of a theater critic than a worshiper. I sit down in the pew not with an attitude of openness, not with an attitude of receptivity, but in most cases with the attitude of a skeptic. Almost as if I feel like I'm saying tacitly, I dare you to draw me into this worship service. And usually it doesn't take long to confirm me in that path of skepticism. I don't get much past the call to worship uh, before I am fully involved in that stance of the skeptic. It's really kind of sick, actually. Um, (laughs) But here, I've confessed it to you, so there, there you go. I don't get much past the call to worship because if I go into a church where the pastor is there in his flowing robe like the one that I model for you today... And raising his arms with, with the, the emphasis of winged victory on top of a trophy. Saying in an affected voice, this is the day of the Lord. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I usually find myself wanting to go get another cup of coffee. <laughs> or if in a very different kind of worship service, I go in and after having sung the first song, I am seated or standing during the interlude, and the drummer is kind of uh, brushing out on the snare uh, uh, a, uh, a quiet rhythm that is there underneath is the melody of the first song on the lead guitar, and the drummer, who also happens to be the worship leader, is doing the, conver- the uh, call to worship and says, okay, I just want you to like go to that place deep within you where you meet Jesus. I cross my arms and look for the door. (laughs) It's interesting. I have yet to learn to appreciate and enter into any worship service where I begin with an attitude of skepticism. If I start there, I'll pretty much finish there.
And yet when I begin with gratitude for the rest, when I begin with openness to what God might bring, it's interesting how much better things go. Maybe this has something to do with what I've learned and noticed in another sphere of my life that when I am in encounters with the people who are closest to me, especially my family, that things go a lot better when I begin with noticing and giving thanks for the gift that they are to me than things seem to go when the first word out of my mouth is criticism. Why in the world is this the case? Well, we all know why it's the case. When we start with skepticism, we have to be lifted out of it. When we start with gratitude, we start with an anticipation of what might be revealed. If ever there was someone who had a reason to start from a stance of skepticism, it was Mary, the mother of our Lord. Pregnant, unmarried, and told that this was a blessing, she no doubt had a reason to be skeptical. Pregnant in a world where you weren't supposed to be pregnant at that stage in her life before she was married. Pregnant in a world where it was a danger to her to be that. And so she stood wondering what this might mean. And yet what's interesting is that after Gabriel departs and after she arrives at the home of Elizabeth, she has a very different stance than skepticism that she articulates in the song that she sings and the prayer that she prays. Her response is the great story and song of gratitude that we've just read. And so the question before us today is, what is it that enables her to participate in this song? A song that goes back to Hannah, a song that she no doubt knew if she had been around uh, her people in worship. What is it that empowers her to move from skepticism to gratitude? Well, it's not just the power of positive thinking, of of putting on a happy face to the situation. It's not just a matter of responding to some Jedi mind trick, you are blessed. What enables the move is her awareness of something very, very valuable. What enables the move from skepticism to gratitude is the mercy of God. She's lost in worship because what she knows beyond any doubt is that she is the recipient of God's mercy. So what is this mercy that we're talking about? We use that word a lot in, in our worship, in our, our Christian circles. We, we throw it about because the scriptures seem to like that word. But, but what is it? Well, what it is, plain and simply, is just unexpected kindness. What it is, is the kindness that issues forth from, from tenderness. It's, it's the kindness that comes not because we deserve it, not because we expect it. In fact, it's very undeserved and very unexpected. But it's the notice. 
It's the embrace. It's the choice of God to include us in his story. It's like the psalmist in Psalm 18 when he laments being down in the pit in the the cords of death uh, snaring him in that place and yet crying to the Lord and receiving from God an elevation out of that pit so that his feet might be placed in the broad and open space of, of God's grace. It's the kindness of being rescued. Mercy is not what we often think it is. It's in the scriptures, it's, it's not simply or merely a withholding of anger, uh, of some kind of deserved punishment. When we talk about begging for mercy, usually it's because we're afraid that we're going to be snuffed out. We have some image of God holding us, uh, dangling over the flame, uh, and contemplating dropping us and, and choosing not to, but, putting us aside instead. The mercy as it is spoken of in the scriptures is more about this undeserved kindness rather than just a simple refraining from deserved destruction. And so Mary's prayer is not thanksgiving for the fact that she was not snuffed out. That's not where she begins at all. Her prayer of thanksgiving is really about especially two very simple things where she in essence says to God, thanks for noticing me and thanks for including me. My soul magnifies the Lord because he has looked upon the lowliness of his servant. He's noticed. And the Lord has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So thanks for notice and thanks for inclusion. That's what's going on in this text. And Mary sings out of the rich resources of an awareness of that gratitude. Thanks, first of all, for God's notice. Not unlike Psalm 8, what Mary does in the Magnificat here is essentially say, who am I that you would pay attention to me. Who, who am I that you would care for me? You're the creator of, of heaven and earth. Why in the world would you notice me? The thanksgiving for God's notice is the, the, the feeling of significance of notice when the more reasonable expectation is that we would be ignored. Why in the world would God ever notice me? The expectation that perhaps she would remain invisible, powerless, and uncertain as to where to turn. That's the more normal expectation for someone in Mary's situation in this moment. But God notices. And Mary notices God noticing. And she gives thanks. It's kind of like that great story later on in Luke of the woman who has had the hemorrhage for years and years and years and she's gone to many doctors and she she hasn't gotten any better. And she hears about Jesus coming to town and she starts to go after him and pursue him because she thinks that if she can surreptitiously just kind of wedge her way through the crowd and, and touch his garment, that she'll be healed. 
And so she does that. She, she touches him and she thinks she's going to pass back through the crowd in obscurity. But guess what? She gets noticed. And Jesus turns around and it's suddenly as if a spotlight comes down on this woman. And this woman in absolute obscurity, in some ways wanting to remain hidden because she's shamed by the uncleanliness of her disease in that culture is suddenly brought into the center and congratulated for her faith. He notices. And that's mercy. You've seen me. You know me. You don't turn away once you do. And you hold me lovingly in your gaze. That's mercy. That's loving kindness. That's the tenderness that Mary's experiencing. So it's thanksgiving for God's notice, but it's also thanksgiving for the gift of God's inclusion, the invitation to participate in God's work. Mary says, the Lord has done great things for me, meaning, really, the Lord has done great things in me. The Lord will do great things through me as well. What Mary is celebrating in this text is that she is a part of a bigger story. That she's been given a role to play, significant work to do, all of it to give witness to something that is so much bigger than her that she can't even ask or even imagine what it's all about. But she's been included She's been included in that bigger story of creating life and hope where it seems impossible to do so. And that's what this encounter is with with Elizabeth is all about, is that two strange pregnancies have taken place in, in wombs in which they shouldn't have taken place. In the womb of an elderly barren woman who had long since given up hope of ever having uh, the opportunity to give birth to children, Elizabeth now carries the, 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 the baby John. John the Baptist. And in Mary, the the virgin, who should not have conceived so early and, and apart from a relationship with a man. But life is created in both of these places. And they're a part of creating life and hope where it seems impossible to do so. It's the story in many ways of reversing the saga that everyone had come to expect. The saga that it would be the wicked and the unjust who would ultimately win the day. That there will always be another Roman army to come in and dominate and occupy. So why why bother? But what Mary celebrates is that she's a part of the great reversal of all of that. That the new story of this great reversal is happening. And so she says, God has shown the strength with his arm and has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and accordance to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants. As Jesus later says, the humble are exalted and the exalted humbled. As N.T. Wright puts it in his his English uh, depiction of redemption, the 
God was putting the world to rights and reshaping our expectations. It's the thanksgiving that comes when we understand ourselves to be a part of a story that is much bigger than we could ever write for ourselves. It's the kindness, the mercy that comes with trust, with inclusion, with God's trust in us to join him in his work. And Elizabeth is a picture of this as well. When she uh, is greeted by Mary and and, uh, John in her womb leaps for joy and she says, how is it? Why is it that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? Why should I be included in this story as well? What Mary's song does for us is is point the way. Point the way in the journey from skepticism to gratitude. It's as if she is is illustrating for us exactly what St. Paul writes about in the third chapter of Colossians when he says, if you've been raised with Christ, in other words, if you've, if you've come to grips with the mercy of God and being raised to a new life with Christ, then seek the things that are above and put to death the things that are below. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If we want to move from skepticism to gratitude, then what we need to do is to watch for the signs of God's mercy. And they're there. We just need to notice. I'm sure it was well over 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, be pastor in the lives of a, of a couple who um, were pregnant with twins. Uh, and One night at our evening service, they shared the disturbing prayer request that uh, it had been revealed that that one of the twins, which both of which uh, girls, sisters, uh, they shared the same amniotic sac, that one of the twins was not developing in the same way that the other was. And further tests revealed that she wouldn't, that she had uh, a condition uh, of being anencephalic, The, the brain would not develop that she could potentially live in the womb to term, but would die shortly after delivery. There was some fear that that both fetuses would die, that that both of these sisters would not live if if the one who was not developing died uh, in the womb, and some danger to the mother in that. But they decided to go ahead and have uh, this pregnancy go to term, and and in that process asked me to be present uh, at the delivery in order to baptize the, the child who they expected to die. The day came for that to happen, and I must tell you that if ever there was an invitation to skepticism, it was this. How does one do a baptism and a funeral at the same time? How does that work? And yet what was so interesting to me is that never have I been so surprised by an experience that promised to be so dismal. 
When the delivery was accomplished through a C-section, the results were as we expected. And yet something was happening in the midst of that. And the first clue of it was that the, the nurses who would normally be righteously rigid about protocols, about who was anywhere close to the delivery room and who was not, that those some things, those things were somehow ignored and, and there was a, a kind of euphoria that was in the room. It was indeed true that one daughter was dying and one daughter was brought to, into life in this world. But later on, as we were together in the room in order to do this baptism, as the mother held this dying child, it became clear to me what the euphoria was about. The euphoria was about mercy. Mercy, first of all, in the arms of this mother who held this dying child. But mercy also offered by the child herself. The mercy of remaining alive long enough for her sister to be born. And so we baptized her. And not long after that, she stopped breathing. The tenderness of that moment and participating in that was the gift of God for all of us that day. It was a sign of mercy in a place that you don't expect to see mercy. It was an awareness of a gift that we could not ever have imagined being given. God was clearly taking notice. And God was inviting us to be a part of what he was doing. So I thank God for the privilege of that day. And remember as I do so that the kindness of God is not always readily apparent to us. The mercy of God is not always readily available to us. We don't notice sometimes. But the encouragement of Mary is to keep watching. To keep watching and waiting and taking note of the way God is showing up and not only noticing the situation in which we find ourselves, but inviting us into his bigger story. Let's pray. Lord, lead us into a place of joy, a place where rest issues forth in praise. Lead us into that place where we notice that you have noticed and that we hear your invitation to be a part of what you are about. Empower us to see and to take up that invitation and to rejoice in the good news that you are setting the world to rights and we get to participate in that. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.